Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hi, this is Andrew Austin, and you're listening to the Impact Outdoors podcast. Yeah, yeah, I've been I've been pretty busy the past year on social media. Um, there's a lot of pressure in the kind of the social media wildlife community to post a lot and, and to try to get as many followers as possible. And I kind of felt that pressure. And so I started posting all these reels and stuff. And, you know, my goal is always to spread a message of conservation and inspire people to get outside and, and learn about their local wildlife. Um, but it's funny, I, you know, I had some success on social media posting videos and stuff. And you start to you start to get addicted to that that viral the, posting the viral stuff and uh, had to check myself because um, I, I never want to get sucked into that that vanity you know hey everyone welcome back to another episode here at impact outdoors podcast and on this episode we've got to sit down with my good friend Andrew Austin otherwise known as the Texas naturalist on social media and also hosts his podcast the wildlife experience which is a a great dive into interviewing some some great uh, you know people working in the outdoors and the conservation arena and uh, just just had a really good talk with Andrew um, from from herping into photography videography uh, getting to work on deep in the heart um, how I got into into podcasting and a bunch of other topics that we covered so I know you're going to really enjoy this one so let's jump right into this week's show with Andrew Austin. I am super excited. We've been trying to get together and do this podcast for, I would say, over two years now. Uh, like it. <laughs> but um, I've got my good friend, Mr. Andrew Austin, on the show with us today. Welcome, Andrew. How are you doing, man? Great to be here, man. Uh, doing well here in the duck call shop currently. Yeah. Yeah, this that's what you were saying. Podcast. You're surrounded by yeah. duck calls. <laughs> or what's yeah. left after the Christmas rush. So I get better... Uh, 
service here, internet service. So it's always more reliable just to stay here if I'm going to do a podcast. So nice. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I hear you. I'll get on my end. Well, it's, uh, it's good to see you. Um, we met a couple of years ago through our mutual friend, Mr. Chester Moore, and uh, you've been coming and hanging out with us and being a, a big part of the Huntfish Podcast Summit up at the Warren Ranch every year. And we've gotten to, to know each other a little bit over that. I know, I know from following you on Instagram and stuff, and you were, you were outside as much as possible. Um, I'm very jealous that I'm not out as much as, as you are. And you probably like, well, I'm not out that much, but, um, it, it, you do a lot of, a lot of cool stuff. And, um, I really, really enjoy your podcasts and what you're doing. You have a very unique approach to things from, from your outlook, from, from, uh, you know, maybe not necessarily a biological standpoint, but from a conservation standpoint and, and kind of some of your views that have changed over the years and stuff. And so I wanted to have you on to kind of talk about some of your passions and, and what you're doing there with SureShot and stuff. So why don't you give us a little background on Andrew and uh, we'll see where this goes. Yeah, man. Uh, so, and thanks again for having me. Um, I'm from Beaumont, Texas, actually a small town outside of Beaumont called Finette. Very, very important to know that <laughs> Finette is not Beaumont. But uh, most people know Beaumont, a uh, small little town in Southeast Texas. Um, I grew up a pretty passionate outdoorsman and naturalist. Um, was always pretty determined to be a wildlife biologist from the time I was pretty young. And eventually I, I made it to A&M, um, got my degree in wildlife ecology and conservation. Uh, worked at various wildlife facilities, working a lot with alligators and crocodiles. Uh, went down to Belize. Um on an internship, worked with crocs there doing research for a summer, um, worked at gator country, crocodile encounter, different stuff like that. But I, I soon realized I belong in the field. So the zoo stuff wasn't really for me, but, um, yeah, eventually I ended up in the consulting field doing wetland and, and, uh, endangered species surveys did that for a couple of years. Um, and now I'm at sure shot game calls kind of took a little bit of a detour outside of uh standard you know wildlife biology but I, i'm very lucky you know in my job here i still get to pursue wildlife biology i have great connections and great mentors and friends that keep me in the loop keep me connected to to, to conservation and and research um and when i'm not out doing that you know i'm out doing wildlife photography duck hunting bass fishing fly fishing uh birding <laughs> basically anything that has to do with the outdoors and wildlife and it's been great man I, I thoroughly enjoy my life and i've been very lucky um so far yeah that's awesome and and i remember like i know you do a lot of a lot of her herpetology stuff you know big herper and stuff and i really got into that when i was in college mm -hmm. um with my degree at oklahoma state and and we had a really good herpetology class up there and and uh, next time we're together i'm going to bring my book and show you a bunch of the stuff that we collected up there. I've got tons of pictures of some cool, some cool critters we caught up in Oklahoma, I um, but man, Oklahoma. I really, I miss, I miss the times of going and turning over rocks and looking for <laughs> snakes and all kinds of lizards and stuff and, and salamanders and all that cool stuff. And, and 99% of that stuff, people will never see. Yeah. And, you know? it's, and, and, and it's, cr it's crazy. The amount of species diversity that exists. Yeah. It, it helps you really appreciate um, you know, wildlife as a whole. And I, I think most hunters and fishermen would enjoy it if they could get over the, the fear of the snakes and stuff, but it's a, it's an activity that 
you know, you're just going out in the outdoors and you're looking for something and you get to see so much cool stuff mm-hmm. and the success rate is usually pretty high. Yeah. Uh, and I've, you know, I've taken out some of my hunting buddies before and, and they always, you know, through, throughout my childhood and stuff. And they thought it was super cool going out mm-hmm. herping. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. My kids are finding that the more time we spend up at our deer lease up in the hill country and yeah. going and, and trouncing through the woods and flipping over rocks and looking, looking for stuff. And, and, uh, we've had, we had a, a, a flurry of, uh, black widows up there this year and I've never seen so many, but I mean, they were everywhere. And so, my boy's not even scared of them you know like most people would when they see one for the first time if you've ever seen one they they are pretty intimidating even though they're oh, not yeah. they're not huge they are creepy looking and and stuff but uh he just tells everybody about about them and and um but 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 it's a lot it's a lot of fun it's a good activity to do and and stuff and i enjoy watching following all your your vid videos and pictures and stuff you post all that stuff yeah yeah i've been i've been pretty busy the past year on social media um there's a lot of pressure in the uh, kind of the social media wildlife community to post a lot and, and to try to get as many followers as possible. And I kind of felt that pressure. And so I started posting all these reels and stuff. And, you know, my goal is always to spread a message of conservation and inspire people to get outside and, and learn about their local wildlife. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's funny, I, you know, I, I had some success on social media posting videos and stuff and, you start to you start to get addicted to that that viral, the posting the viral stuff, and uh, I had to check myself because um, I I never want to get sucked into that that vanity, you know. Yeah, I try to. Um, I've not, I noticed that anytime I post anything about the shark stuff we do at work, like those just go through the roof. Oh, yeah. I mean, just I love sharks, man. Instantly, love just thousands and thousands of views of of reels and stuff and people asking questions and things like that which is cool most people don't like over here i mean most people like somebody the other day was just like you we have sharks in galveston bay you know and i'm like yeah there's sharks all the way up at lake houston dam i mean i mean we've (laughs) we've we've tagged sharks over here that were like 200 300 miles up the mississippi river in like two weeks you know (laughs) it's like these fish go anywhere they can get where there's food and uh people just don't understand that or realize it and and like you said they're not exposed to it so they they have no idea so it's really cool to be able to educate people through social media you know um, social media is such a great tool um as as much as i hate it because it's addicting and it's Mm -hmm. there's there's, there are negative aspects to social media but there's also many positive aspects us sitting here right now is because of social media Mm -hmm. you know it's connected so many like-minded people and and has created avenues to reach broader audiences um but uh yeah like lately i've been trying to to minimize my use of it just trying to trying to keep my head in the in the real world as much as possible but uh when spring comes around i'll probably be back back in it (laughs) Um, because that's spring is my favorite time of year really yeah everything wakes up and hopefully it's not too far away because it's already cold enough for me here in texas (laughs) so (laughs) This it's cold only for like forty, forty over forties right now. So, you, when we get a real cold front in January here in Southeast Texas, it it helps me appreciate spring more. If we don't get a good cold front, I don't. There's something about a seasonal change that makes me happy. And, yeah. and when we don't get the good cold snap, it's also you know uh, for duck hunting, it's very important that we get these cold fronts. And I'm hopeful this weekend we'll we'll see ducks coming down from up north, but. um I like the seasonal change and I don't like the cold for too long, but it, I feel like it's a nice reset 
going yeah. into spring get a nice nice little winter in january and february yeah and i know they're talking right now they're talking about potentially having some more of these polar vortexes or whatever coming down here at the end of this month which i'm oh. hoping does not happen um <laughs> you know yeah. people who live here uh remember what happened in 2021 you know and i think that was in february when we had that last yeah, big rough. freeze yeah. and um how much did that affect wildlife you think over in your area as far as like what you're doing is like these big these big climate change <clears throat> temperature drops you know sudden drops and stuff and um do, do you think there's a lot of mortality on on wildlife like there think, is with dealing with the fish just with the drastic changes in their, in yeah. their surroundings uh just anecdotally i had one of my friends he's actually he was my old boss he um he was finding some some reptiles um, that had froze to death, like under boards and mm-hmm. like you know, a little ground skinks and different uh, like green anoles and maybe some some smaller snakes that kind of got caught out in the open. They didn't get deep enough for that that freeze. Um, but I, I'd assume it didn't didn't have a huge population level impact. But who, who knows? Yeah, yeah, we're dealing we're dealing with the fishery side of stuff right now. Um, at, at work and stuff and they're they're going through the process of looking you know ways to to manage you know what we're dealing with now with the right. population i won't say crashes or anything but just the decline in, in spotted sea trout and yeah. and stuff i mean there's no shortage of redfish or anything but um spotted sea trout numbers are down up and down the coast and right. and so you know there's always going to be drama anytime there's any regulation changes and stuff but um, mm-hmm. you know ultimately everybody wants what's best for the resource right and um so it'll be interesting to see what happens with that um you know i remember in 21 i mean there was a like in central texas like the biggest effect i seen was like on, on the exotics that right we have. Yeah. i mean there were so oh, many yeah. like axis yeah. and mm-hmm. i guess audad and maybe in black buck and stuff that were dying i remember just seeing pictures of just trailers just full of of dead exotics that they yep. you know it's like, what do they do? Um, and it just goes to but, show that um, these these animals um, they aren't as well suited as a white-tailed deer to live here. <laughs> they, yeah. they do well otherwise, but uh, the, the native species they prevail. Yeah, I think white-tailed deer and bull sharks can probably live just about anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're tough. So generalist. Yep. yep. So, but but it it's a it kind of makes you think too. Is is pretty cool that we can live in this in this state particularly with the vast amount of species both native and non-native that we have here that thrive here and stuff and it's pretty pretty cool to see that you know growing up in oklahoma i was never exposed to to any of that you know i didn't even know we had animals like that you know living here in the united states it was all just white-tailed deer turkey every once in a while you hear about somebody seeing a black bear now there's black bears everywhere in oklahoma I mean, they're coming into, you know, all parts of the state and, yeah. and I'm so proud now to look back and see what, what Oklahoma is producing, you know, with elk populations and pronghorn and mule deer. I mean, we pretty much have everything up there now. I was out in, uh, God, I wish I remember the name of this place. It was in East Oklahoma. It was a, it was a wildlife management area. I mean, we're driving through there. It was in, in the kind of late summer, early fall looking for snakes. And, um, there was a herd of elk out mm-hmm. there. It was like the foot. It was like the foothills of the Ozarks. 
Yeah, guess, no, either Kaimichi Mountains or south southern Ozarks. A little north of Kaimichi. Ka- so, um, been it'd be the Ozark Plateau Cookson, area Cookson, and stuff. Uh, Cookson, uh, Cookson, uh, W May or something. Yeah, Cookson Wildlife Management Area. Yeah, yeah, that's where we were. There was elk, and I, I never knew elk were found there. Yeah, I thought that was quite interesting. Yeah, those um, before recent before those started moving. I guess they were coming in basically from Arkansas in that area. Um, it was all down in southwest Oklahoma. That was the only place that really had any notable elk populations. Um, and now we've got huntable elk populations on both sides of the state. And, wow. And um, I remember up there, not to talk about Oklahoma forever, but um, the first year they opened black bear season up for archery up there, um, they had a quota of like 10 bears, I believe. And uh, we'll have to double check with our friend Todd on this, but um, I believe it was like 10 bears and you basically had to call in when you harvested one so they could shut down the season basically over social media or whatever, like to put down that the season was closed. And I mean, it was just like two hours or something like that seemed like, and then it was over. And I don't know what the, the quotas are now up there, but I know it's a lot more than that. And, and, and uh, awesome, man, It's, it's good to hear of a state doing well. With, with some of those yeah. species yep so yeah. but well growing up over there where you were like what was um what was your reasons or motivations for wanting to get into the outdoors was it a parent grandparent just friends or how, how did that come about for you in your yeah. journey <clears throat> uh definitely my dad um he had me out in the woods when i like from the time i could barely walk um he had a lot of public land, so he and and sometimes we he ride a bicycle in to some of these spots, and he'd put me on the like the, the little rail in front of his seat. Mm-hmm. He'd like like hold me on there when he'd ride through the woods, and ride down the trails, get to his his bow hunting spots. Um, and, he, and then he would strap me strap me up in a tree stand next to him. He'd like strap me to the tree. My feet would be dangling. <laughs> Probably, I mean, he it was. I don't know if it was safe or not, but I, I I'm here today, so. <laughs> But uh, yeah, those are some of my my you know initial experiences. Um, my dad was always very supportive of my interest. I had a natural curiosity for all things in nature, and snakes just really captivated me, and, and mm-hmm. lizards and turtles. And um, I was very lucky that he didn't discourage my interest in snakes um, because you know a lot of my buddies that I grew up with their their dads taught taught them to kill every snake they see. Yeah, you know, and I guess my dad, I guess he kind of had a natural curiosity too. He wasn't. He didn't pursue herpetology or biology or any of that, but he always thought it was cool. And we'd come across a, you know, a copperhead or uh, like we, I remember we found a timber rattlesnake one time and it was one of the coolest experiences. Um, and he was just super as excited as me to find it. Um, and he picked it up and all this. And I remember being so mad that he picked it up because he wasn't trained. Right. To oh, the, snake. And it's, the timbers and not a, it's a bad bite too. I mean, it's among the worst of the rattlesnakes. They're big. But, uh, like many people in my generation, um, I was very lucky to, you know, turn on the TV and see Steve Irwin every day. Um, and he, he really had a huge impact on, on a lot of, a lot of people in that mm-hmm. time. Um, so it was a combination of, yeah, my dad and, and Steve Irwin and just, uh, just an innate curiosity. Um, I've always been that way and, and it's still present in me. I still feel like a little kid curious about the yeah. world. time. <laughs> That's cool. That's really cool. And so like, was like, um, 
the photography stuff and all that? Is that just kind of a, the natural progression of, yeah. of being outdoors? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, with hunting and fishing, the goal is to go out and harvest an animal or catch a fish. And that's, you know, that's what you get to bring home, you know, going out looking for snakes and other critters. Um, for the longest time I was happy just going out, catching them and, well, which when I was young, I would actually collect a lot of stuff, bring it home, keep it for a few days, and then mm-hmm. release it. Um, but as I got older, I didn't really like keeping the animals as much. You know, a lot of times in uh, wild-caught herbs don't do well in captivity, and I was uh, tired of seeing dead animals in, uh, in my don't, aquarium. Don't tell the green anoles in my backyard that my kids <laughs> catch 50 times a week. So. <laughs> <laughs> I caught, I mean, I try to keep all these little rough green snakes and garter snakes and stuff, and and uh they didn't always do too well so i I stopped stopped collecting um and but i'd still you know when i'm I'm out hunting for something i want to bring something home so eventually i got a camera and that's what i was hunting was a photograph Mm -hmm. um and i'd have like you know a list of species that i wanted to find i wanted to find every species of snake in my home county here in jefferson county and that was kind of a way of cataloging everything Um, take a picture of it and then at some point so social media popped up when i was I don't know, like 13 or 14 and kind of got on YouTube and Facebook and found some other weird snake people like me. And that's how I initially kind of started networking. And some of those, you know, initial people I met ended up being people I worked for later on, yeah. you know, um, after college, which is kind of wild. Um, how I found that community of people, naturalists that also work in biology. But yeah, the, the photography stuff really as, as Instagram grew and, um, came more popular, the photography really um, became something that I pursued seriously. Um, I've had a few photos and books and, and, you know, various things like that. Um, but it's, it's mostly just a hobby. I've never really done it for work. It's just a way to capture, mm-hmm. capture nature and to tell stories um, and to, to, to just help people understand just how cool their own backyard is. Yeah. And it doesn't hurt now that you can actually, take like magazine quality photos and stuff with this thing, you know, with your phone that takes such good pictures now and something everybody can do. And, and, um, that's one of the things like when I'm charter fishing and stuff, taking people out, it's like, I'm real, I really try to get some good pictures for them while they're out there just enjoying the moment and with fish. And I really hate taking dock shots or whatever, where you just, we have, I mean, sometimes we will, if there's a bunch of kids and stuff like that, Cause they want to show all their friends, but um, right. just being able to capture that moment and, and having that memory is like, Hey, I remember when we caught that fish or we, we seen that snake or bird or whatever. And um, we were just up in Missouri hunting at Christmas at my mother-in-law's her farm up there. And um, um, I took my kids every time I went out, I had one of them with me and um, it started snowing. And I told my daughter, I said, you know, the snow's getting ready to start. I said, all these birds are probably going to come out and start feeding right when it does, you know, before it covers the ground. And I mean, it was like clockwork, like started flakes started coming out of the sky and the diversity up there is insane. I mean, we've seen probably 15, 20 different species of birds in like 20 minutes yep. and just we're up in the trees, basically in a box blind or surrounded by all this. And they're just landing on the branches right next to us. And I mean, we've seen so much cool stuff and, my favorite growing up was always the Eastern bluebird and we, we finally had one of those show up. And so she got to see that and, awesome, and, man. uh, it was pretty cool, you know, seeing, getting to see stuff like that. Normally you wouldn't see 
you know where we live now. Yeah, Yeah, you don't get that here in Southeast (laughs) Texas. Yeah. But we do, however, have an incredible bird migration um, down here. And um, I was always... I was always against birding. Um, it's kind of like a joke in the herping community, never to become a birder. And I kind of, I kind of went with that for the longest time. I was like, man, that's, it's kind of closed minded. So I, you know, once I got a telephoto lens and I started going out, because my problem with birding, I guess, was they're so far away. I like to see the animals up close. I want to pick yeah. them up or at least be able to observe them in close proximity. Um, and then the bird thing, I'm just like, man, you just go out and look at birds. Well, it just doesn't seem that cool to me. Um, the first time I went out during spring migration with my with my big super telephoto lens, and I'm taking pictures of you know these really cool warblers and tanagers and orioles, I was blown away by the diversity of birds and just how beautiful they were, yeah. and the, the 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 migration itself is fascinating. These a lot of these birds when they get here to the Texas coast, they just flew you know across the Gulf of Mexico from Central and South America. And they make this trek every year, mm-hmm. you know, there and back, spring, you know, in the spring and the fall. And it's just, uh, it's incredible. So I'm, I'm not a full-time birder, but when there's birds migrating, I like to get out and see them. And I encourage people to, because it is, I mean, people travel from all over the world to Galveston and Sabine Pass and mm-hmm. these locations, High Island, people from Europe and all these places in the world come here to Southeast Texas to see these birds. And yeah. Most of the locals, and even when I was, you know, younger, I didn't, I never knew that we had this incredible wildlife spectacle right here in Southeast Texas. Um, yeah, birds are cool, man. Birds are cool. <laughs> yeah, they're they're definitely um, <clears throat> neat animals, and and we definitely I see that when I'm out working and stuff. You'll see people taking pictures, and especially like on the dike, and and when we're up at like Anahuac National Wildlife Refuge working and and stuff or or man, even, even being out, um, on our uh, shrimp boat at work, we'll be out in the Gulf pulling nets and stuff and we'll be offshore and you'll have these little birds just landing on the boat and they just look so exhausted and <laughs> just, they'll seen, just sit I've on seen, the front of the boat for like an hour and then they'll just take yeah. off. So. I've seen the pictures of that. It's, it's, it's crazy. I think it usually happens when, when it's, um, when they're migrating back North and they hit a North wind and they're like, screwed you know yeah, they have like no, there's nowhere to land i mean there's nowhere to land so they just land on oil rigs and 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 fit, you know fishing boats mm-hmm. yeah. um yeah i want to see that in, in real time i've never i've only ever seen the pictures but yeah well we need to get you to come over here and go out with us sometime that'd be and fun I, i've, I've so. got experience fishing um uh, you know Sabine lake and galveston bay and I've, I've done a lot of redfish and speck fishing growing up here flounder fishing mm-hmm. i've never gone out very far i've never i've never done a true offshore fish fishing yeah. trip yeah we need to get get you and and chester and y'all go out with us on one of our shark tagging trips or oh, something man, that'd be that'd be a lot that. of fun get out and see some that. of that firsthand so That's and actually i mean we go to sabine usually once or twice a year too so i mean we could we could even just do it right there <laughs> so run down to pleasure island hop on the boat yeah, so, yeah. i'd love that I, my my experience with all that is very limited and it's I'm just saving it for a time in life when I have, after I get done with everything. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> like coral reefs. Like I have, I don't think much about coral reefs and, you know, a lot of people that are into nature, they got to go explore a coral reef. And I'm like, I'm saving that for like way down the road because I have way more important stuff to do on land first before I explore those waters. There's so well, much. You don't, 
So you don't have to go to Florida. I mean, we have the Flower Garden Bank here, which is about 85 miles out of Galveston. And uh, I I don't dive, but I mean, I know there's a lot of people that go out there do dive trips and stuff. And oh. most people don't even know that's here. Is that you know? And it, it's it's really okay. cool area. Is there so, ecotourism surrounding that? Like the- there is some. I mean, it's a national marine sanctuary. Um, so there's there's certain boats that'll go out and take people out um, specifically. Um, just to just to dive and photograph and film yeah. it and stuff and everything you can imagine is out there. I mean, just looking at some of the videos I've seen that have been shot out there and, and stuff, it's pretty pretty crazy and some really good fishing around it too. Certain oh, times well, of year, I mean, it's like it's like probably the number one wahoo spawning uh, migration area in the Gulf yeah. is is right there on the on the flower gardens. So, you know, I never even knew the flower gardens existed until deep in the heart really yeah my first time seeing the flower gardens and that the way they the film that was really incredible mm-hmm. but yeah i never i never knew i never knew that we had a coral reef so close yeah yeah so that so that brings up a, an interesting point so i mean we were talking before we even started just kind of this is a cool um industry to be a part of right right the fishing yeah. and hunting conservation world and, and it's very small and most people see it on TV and just like, oh, it's like, you know, this is so big. Like I'll never, and it's, it's, you know, I can just say like, I've met a lot of these people I idolized growing up on TV now. And then they're just normal people that got Great lucky and got a job yep. doing the, doing what, what they love. And, yep. and, um, we've, me and you both have got to work with some incredible individuals and, um, um, and stuff kind of talk about the networking side of being in the outdoors industry and, and what that's, what that's done for you. Sorry, man. I got a, I got a text just now. I got to, I might have to go catch crocodiles. Uh, down we got a cold snap and some of the crocs are still out. Oh man. <laughs> um, yeah. I uh, still, I stay connected to some of the people I worked for. Um, but yeah, the, the, the networking has been incredible. You know, my experience in this field is is when i think about it it's all the highlights are mainly the 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 wildlife encounters and the 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 cool work i've been involved with but often overlook the the people man i've met so many cool people and that you know that that adds so much value to it i made such Mm -hmm. good friends and and have so many great mentors um and it's i've been I've been lucky but I've, i've i've been very calculated in how i how i've been networking and and most people most young wildlife professionals are, are going to use a LinkedIn and, and um, you know, the more normal professional avenues to stay connected. But man, I've, I've developed this network of people from the time I was 13 or 14 through Facebook and Instagram until now. And then people like most of my jobs I've had, uh, you know, professional jobs and otherwise came from just friendships I've made along the way on through Instagram and, you know there's all these great naturalists that i look up to here in texas and you know when they finally um you know invite me out to go herping or birding or you know looking for rare plants or whatever i i get to you know learn from them and show them just how passionate i am and that's that's kind of been uh an important part of my career um creating job opportunities is really connecting with people on a personal level Mm -hmm. uh, getting out there in the field and and um you know really showing people that you're serious um, but I've also had random opportunities too. Like, um, I mentioned deep in the heart, um, when I was in college, I, I got, I got hired to, 
to just work as a biologist on the film when I came out to East Texas, just random. And I wasn't even having graduated college yet. Um, but I just, you know, I'd spend so much time in this particular region in Texas and, um, and there's way more qualified people that probably should have been looped in on that. But, um, the, the director of the film just, just appreciated my passion for this particular area and, and hired me to work for him on on that and uh it was incredible and it was one of the coolest yeah. things i will ever do in my life is having been able to work alongside ben masters and and all the people from finn and fur productions um for like two whole years it was like this major highlight and I, it like just brought me immense happiness and value because mm-hmm. that that was uh was really incredible it, it moved a lot of people and it was just you know, one of a kind experience getting involved with it. Yeah. It, it, um, seeing it for the first time, you know, in the movie theaters and stuff with my kids, my kids reaction to it were just priceless. I even told Ben, you know, some of the reactions that my boy had, you know, um, with the footage of the snakes, you know, searching for the bats and the cactus and, and that kind of thing. And just, uh, just incredible. Uh, and such a unique way to, to get people more aware of wildlife in, in Texas specifically, but I mean, yep. Yep. you know, let's get more involved in, in wherever they're at, you know, in the country or the world. Um, and Ben does such a good job bringing people together and, and, and creating mm-hmm. such good quality work. I mean, I know they're working on a lot of new stuff right now, which I, I can't tell you how excited yep. I am to see some of it. So <laughs> yeah. um, it's going to be cool to see what comes out and, and yeah. uh, hopefully yeah. you get to, participate in some of that going forward and and no telling i got a a great text recently but i can't say much about it (laughs) well that's all right there's some good stuff there's some good stuff and uh, i'm very grateful for my my connection to that and it's not i never really imagined ever um being involved with cinematography or or filmmaking and all that but you know after deep in the heart came in i realized just how important that stuff can be and when it comes to moving the needle um, cause we have the research, we have the biology, we have, you know, the, the text parks and wildlife is fantastic. Um, but reaching the broader public is ultimately a, a very important mission. Yeah. And, uh, it's these, the hardest, uh, it's the hardest mission in my opinion. Part, yeah. And getting people to kind of rally around certain ideals, um, in such a diverse landscape of, you know, ideas that people have, um, just getting people to unite around conservation in general. It's such a, um, it's such a simp- It seems like such an easy sell, but it, it it is still hard. And but a film like Deep in the Heart, I feel like it really helped bring all sorts of different people together. You know, in the name of one singular mission. Um, so yeah, it's very inspiring and and just really- doesn't hurt to have Matthew McConaughey narrating <laughs> either. I mean, that's yeah. pretty iconic pretty- in itself. But <laughs> when I learned that he was narrating, I was like, oh, and this is just. <laughs> the icing on the cake now <laughs> this is what this is what needed to happen uh iconic such an iconic texan yeah, yeah. Awesome. i remember i remember asking ben it's like what was that like getting the 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 response back from his camp you know and he's like he said he's interested <laughs> let's go yeah <laughs> so. yeah it's incredible I've, yeah i've watched the film so many times that it's each time it it's still inspiring Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you'll see other, I've seen other states kind of ha- 
getting similar work done in Florida. They had a uh, path of the Panther, mm-hmm. a similar um, wildlife cinematography. I, ha- I haven't seen it, but it, you know, I'm, I'm assuming it's somewhat similar. Um, so it's, it seems like wildlife cinematography is really about to explode, um, which is great. Yeah. You know, the movie quality is not there anymore. I know that. So it's, it's <laughs> definitely time to see something. Now. And that was the cool thing about that. Cause I think when it came out in the on the theatrical run, I mean, they were only predicting to have what, a couple of weeks of being out, and it stayed out like all summer. Yeah, it was for months. It I was, mean, it was like topping yeah. Top Gun two yeah. in, in places, and that was it was pretty incredible. So that was cool that you got to be a part of that, man. I know that yeah, had man. to be awesome. It was awesome. So very very grateful. Yep. So well, coming to what we're doing now, um, kind of what what made you decide to jump into, I mean, you have your own podcast, kind of tell us about that and kind of what was the motivation to, to get that started. Um, you know, how it happened was, uh, I was talking to one of my wildlife friends, um, over video chat and, uh, uh someone I hadn't met in real life. It was like their Instagram. Right. And, uh, mm-hmm. it's kind of like just naturally interviewing him. because like, <laughs> they have the shared passion and something. Yep. And we're, just chatting about just just chatting about wildlife and uh, i was like man i need to start a podcast and then i went on my friend's podcast and um i was i was actually very surprised at how comfortable i was doing it i thought i was gonna be really nervous podcasting was such an intimidating thought um especially for me i, I grew up with pretty crippling social anxiety and you know shot i was very shy and whatnot um but i realized that i have a I have a pretty confident voice in this format. Um, real, I learned that pretty quick when I went on another podcast and I was like, man, I, I need to do this. So I, yeah, I just thought of a name and just started interviewing some of my favorite, you know, wildlife friends. And um, I was real consistent at first. I was doing, you know, one a week, two a week. I was just banging them out. Yep. Um, but it, that's not sustainable in the long run. So, you know, I, it's tough. I, it's, it's the hardest part about it is staying consistent. It is. And, and I don't put the pressure myself for, for the longest time I did. I was like, I got to do one a week at least. That's easy enough. Or now, and then I'd switch it to, you know, two a month. And, um, you know, I'll sometimes go a few months without doing one, but that's okay, man. I, I do this for fun. Um, and I, I do it when I feel like doing it. Yeah. And have a, you know, a guest that I really want to talk to. Um, so my expectations are, aren't, aren't, um, the same as when I started, when I started, I thought, you know, I didn't post every week and, and really put the effort in, but it's, it's turned into something I just thoroughly enjoy doing. And if it grows naturally, that's great too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've met some great people and it's, it's been great to, uh, give people a voice. Um, I'm, I'm really, uh, partial to people that are kind of like me that are just kind of low key and, um, shy and um, I try to give those people a you know a comfortable platform yeah. to, to talk about their passions because um, there's there's so many you know influencers out there and people that are naturally extroverted and and people you know great people um, but I, I like to hear what everybody has to say um, and try to keep the guests pretty diverse. It's called the wildlife experience, um, you know, and that's a pretty broad thing. You know, I'm interested in. I'm just, I've always been just very interested in how people interact with the natural world, you know, Mm because I grew up doing all this different stuff, hunting, fishing, um, herping, birding. And one of my main passions now is like looking for plants, like rare plants. And that's just very random, but it's, 
nature, um, all aspects of nature are very captivating to me. So I have all these different avenues of people to reach. Um, and it's, it's been very cool, man. I, I really enjoy it. Um, so I'll have hunters on, I'll have botanists on, I'll have birders, ornithologists, bi- biologists, um, really anybody that has anything to say or any, any stories to share about their experiences in nature. Um, and always trying to keep uh, the theme of conservation at the, kind of at the forefront. Um, that's how it's going, man. And I think I'm up to a little over 30 episodes now. Um, I'm hopeful this year I'll, I'll, I'll do a lot. Last year I was a little slow, um, but uh, I'm really kind of starting to settle into my, my, my current job and my, my current living situation. And uh, I think this year I'll be, I'll be doing a lot more, nice. a lot more recording. Nice. Yeah. My wife loves watching when you post anything about plants and stuff. Cause she's a botanist yeah, and, yeah. um, and stuff. So that's always cool to see. And what little botany I know, <laughs> um, you know, I, I enjoyed getting to do, you know, it was one of the things that we kind of bonded over when we were, you know, together initially is she was working on a research project in the, in the Ozarks over in Eastern Oklahoma. And so she was doing a floristic inventory of um, some U S fish and wildlife property that was oh. over there on the border near Poto, Oklahoma. And, and we would travel up there and we would just walk through the woods and document any flowering plant we could find. <laughs> And I couldn't tell you how many timber rattlers we almost stepped on, um, and 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 copperheads, and just all kinds of crazy stuff. And I remember yeah. just just the random experiences you have being outdoors. I mean, one day we sat down to eat lunch out in the middle of the forest, and we're just sitting there on these logs, and we're like, "What is that noise?" And we look up, and there's a whole flock of turkeys roosted in the tree in the middle of the day above <laughs> us. I'm like, "What are they doing in the trees this time of day?" Um, and they never made a sound. I mean, they were just pieces of wood and stuff falling down on us. And we look up and there's like 20 birds sitting up there. But, you know, it's just like you're never going to get experiences like that if you don't get out right. and enjoy it. So but that's cool, man. I mean, you yeah. you do a really good job with the podcast. Um, you ask some really good questions and, and really bring out the best in your guests. And, and that was kind of when I started. Like, I was introverted in my mind growing <laughs> up and very shy. I mean, I didn't talk to a lot of people and my parents say I do, but, um, you know, I was really nervous about starting, starting it out, but kind of the same thought, you know, it's like, I've met all these cool people, you know, and I like sharing people's stories. Now this is kind of just naturally the next step. And, and there was people tell me, he's like, why do you want to start a podcast? Everybody has a podcast, you know, why do you want to start one? And I was like, well, I want to try to help make a difference and get people that you may never heard of out you know, and yep. that's kind of the basis that came out of forming the summit of starting the summit was trying to get people's voices heard about things. And initially with that, and you were there from the, the second and third year, you know, it was um, initially I've seen this as more of like a, a hunting and fishing thing. And it's turned into something a little bit different in a good way and really focusing on on conservation and mentorship has kind of come to the forefront out of almost every episode that's recorded at this event every year. And that's been pretty cool to, to see yeah. that grow and, and, and see the people that have been involved with it grow and change and, you know, and become, you know, what they are today. I mean, Paul's completely <laughs> our friend, Paul Fazinski from aptitude. I mean, he's, 
almost completely changed um, his approach to podcasting and stuff just since we've met him. And, and um, it's really cool to see that happen, you know, and, and yeah, that's uh, one of my favorite parts of the summit is, is the people, obviously, you know, Paul is one of the, one of the coolest people I've ever met mm-hmm. in my, you know, my time working with wildlife. And, you know, I got there because of Chester and Chester, you know, he's from over my corner of the state. He was a, yep. a bit of a mentor for me when I was growing up out here um then the just the fellowship there and the, the the just getting out there and hanging out and going fishing and um and you know getting some podcast you know getting some episodes pumped out it it really is an amazing experience and, and i'm very sad to say i already told you but i will be absent this year i'm going to the amazon um oh, darn. <laughs> uh, it was a kind of an impulsive decision to go i just my my i've my friends are going down and, uh, I, you know, I'd had an opportunity to go and it's kind of a life. That's kind of a lifelong goal of mine is go to the Amazon. So I was just like, man, I got, I just need to do it now, get it over with. Yep. Maybe I'll never go back, check it off. But, um, anyway, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll miss this year. I'm, I'm, I'm sad about it, but, uh, I, I will definitely be there next year. And, and, you know, I just, and it's at the Warren Ranch, you know, just beautiful oh, no. ranch up there in, in the hills. It's, it's, and it's, it's, it's pretty in, incredible. My my vision was to end up there at the Warren Ranch, you know, and, it, and the first year we held it at a friend's ranch, and it was just kind of like a proof of concept, I guess, to see if this mm-hmm. would actually even work. And the format completely changed from the first year to the way it is now. Um, <laughs> and, and, uh, um, it, it is, it's a lot of fun. I mean, I work all year on that four days, trying to get that four days to come together. We appreciate it. I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> tell you what, I, man, the first time I went, I was so nervous. I remember. <laughs> I was so nervous. When Chester asked I was, me, I was like, man, I don't know if this is my thing. You know, y'all are all like seasoned podcasters. Yeah. Right. Just over here <laughs> doing my little online gig, uh, and I get there, everybody's so down to earth. And I met mm-hmm. you and everybody else, and I was like, "All right, these these are a solid group of uh, people." And um, man, I'm I'm sad. I'm not I'm not going this year. Now that we're talking about it, <laughs> well, you can try to try to zoom in one night and say hi to everybody. I think I'll have Wi Fi at one there. of the. We traveling around, stay in different camps and lodges. I think one of the lodges has Wi Fi, so maybe I'll yeah I'll call in. It's been, it's been, it's been cool. It's been a cool experience. And, um, I know there's been, um, a lot of work on, on some documentaries that we've filmed at the summit, um, with Paul and Seth and Chester. And and I know you were part of, part of one of them. We, we premiered that last year and and I'm not sure when that's getting released. I know they're still trying to work on getting that into some film festivals this year and stuff. I'm excited about that. And, and, uh, we've got, um, two more that we're premiering at this year's event. So, um, I've seen both of those and they're really good. So I'm excited, excited for people to get to see those that are there. And, um, um, you know, it's like, I feel like I have to apologize to everybody's, uh, girlfriends and, and husbands or whatever, whoever's there for getting them involved in this. Cause it's just kind of right. one big rabbit hole. There's with yeah. a bunch of others <laughs> leading out of it and stuff, but that's what it's for. I mean, yeah. networking is such an important part of anything you do in life if you're going to be successful um and this has just turned into one of the best events that i know of in the industry to to do that so yeah 
it's something I look forward to every year. Um, and, and from here on out, it's a non-negotiable at that is on my calendar. I don't know why I, when I was scheduled my Amazon trip, I, I thought my dates were good, but anyhow, oh, well. I'll look to next year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can double check. Something happens. You always got a seat table. So, yep. um, well, um, what are, uh, you know, you're talking about, talk a little bit about sure shot and stuff and what you're doing there right now, man, this is one of the most random opportunities life has thrown at me. <laughs> I never imagined running the oldest duck hawk company in, in the United States. Um, a couple of years back, I guess it was about two years ago. I met the, the new owner, Jay Bruce, um, you know, passionate baseball fans might know his name. He he played 14 years in the ML, MLB. He was a two-time All-Star, Silver Slugger, like a really uh, a great ball player. Mm-hmm. Um, played for a lot of different teams. The last time he played for was the Yankees. He retired in 2020, and he moved back here to Beaumont. And uh, he just bought Sure Shot. He just bought this whole duck call company. Something fun to do now that he's, you know, 30, yeah. 37 and retired or however old he is pretty young to be retired um and uh i went hunt with him on his on his ranch uh i guess it was in 2020 right after he bought it and uh man we really clicked and um anytime i meet somebody like that you know i always try to um you know make a good impression because you just never know i never really would have thought i would have any connection to anything he did um but lo and behold about a year and a half later he texted me um see what I'm up to with my career and if I'm enjoying my job. And um, the thing was, I, I was enjoying consulting. Uh, I was working for a really cool consulting firm in Houston, really cool boss. Um, and and the, the work itself was great, but I will say the, the kind of the living in, you know, the suburbs of Houston and, and, you know, going into an office most yeah. days, it, I could see the projection of where my life was going to go. I would end up, uh, you know, a domesticated, you know, urbanite pretty quickly. Um, and Traffic that wasn't will drive you crazy over here. Um, I belong in the woods out here in Finette. And so I'd, you know, I'd moved back here and I was commuting to Tomball three times a week, hour and a half drive. And it just, it wasn't the best situation. So when Jay texted me, I was like, man, I'll, I'll give that a shot. Um, I don't know nothing about business. I'm one of the, probably the, the least business savvy people there is. I'm a, I'm a naturalist. I, I think of the world in ecological terms, not economic. Um, but you know, I've actually come to really enjoy um, running this place, and, and I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. I thought I was, you know, going to come in here and take pictures and tune calls because it's something I've always been interested in is duck calling. I've, I've competed before, and um, so I thought, you know, tune calls and 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 you know, run the social media. But I was being hired to run this thing, and now I'm currently the only full-time employee here. Um, wow. I have, I have, I have a couple of part-timers that come in, and some high school kids that help out, and someone that helps out with the storefront. But um, over the past year, I've really had to learn kind of the ins and outs of running a business. And the good thing is, it's you know we're selling duck calls. Um, it's not that big of a deal. You know, it's very easy, generally. Um, but we do work with some of the biggest outdoor stores. Uh, in the country, you know, Max Prairie Wings and Roger Sporting Goods, and um, I have to, I have to, you know, I have to maintain some professionalism. But for the most part, man, I, I get to have a lot of fun up here. I get to blow duck calls every day. I hunt a lot during the week, you know, during the season. Pro- product testing, <laughs> yeah, a lot, yeah, a lot of product <laughs> testing, and um, I've designed a few duck calls. We have a gadwalk call coming out, and that's that's been really cool. Um, and it's really allowed me in the in the off season, 
you know, cause duck season's only from, you know, November through January and the rest of the time I'm, there's not a whole lot to do around here. You know, our, our, uh, our online sales kind of, kind of start to plateau off in January. And, um, uh, by the time we get to March and April, we're, we're kind of in our off season and trying to tune, get our inventory built back up. And I get a lot of off time. So I've been able to, you know, get involved with some cool wildlife work, um, and kind of the flexibility this this job gives me is really why I took it. And that's, you know, when uh, I was first getting hired, you know, Jay, um, he's always been interested in the wildlife stuff that I do. He, you know, he follows me on Instagram and he's um, sees how passionate I am. And, you know, he assured me that um, I could still pursue my wildlife passion working here. You know, it's kind of a get stuff done type of schedule. You know, it's not super yeah. intensive. Um, so the lifestyle I've been able to... to to live working here has been excellent um and i might i may never go back to to wildlife biology we'll see i kind of i kind of enjoy working in this industry but uh who knows I, every year is different time goes by quick but so far it's been great um and i take my I take my role here very seriously i, I want to represent sure shot you know sure shot's a household name throughout the south um fear you know i've come from a waterfowling family um been around since the 1950s it's the oldest still running duck call company. Most of those companies back from back in the fifties are, you know, basically gone now. So it's got a really rich history and heritage in the waterfowl world. Um, and it's, it's kind of an honor to, to work here. Um, I get to meet a lot of cool people. Um, and yeah, I, dude, I, I really enjoy it. I've never imagined working at a, <laughs> running a duck call shop, but it's one of the coolest things I've ever done. Well, one of these days you're gonna have to teach me how to blow a duck call because i've got a few but <laughs> i don't duck hunt that much so i really have no idea what i'm doing but listening to you and and uh um some of the seeing some of the videos you've done is uh it's, it's, it's impressive how effective calls are i yeah, mean it really is you know there's not i mean turkey hunting like i can't blow a diaphragm call save me i i just gag all the time but um, you know, I love box calls, slate calls, and stuff, and and utilizing those, and um, it's so cool being able to interact with an animal. Yep. Um, what's that one? This is one of the old. Uh, this is a Jensen from probably the '90s. I've gotten pretty good at aging these things. Like sometimes people will bring them in from. You can tell they're from like the '60s or '70s. Mm -hmm. but this one's probably from the '80s or '90s. But this is kind of the call that started the company. It's got the the double read in there cowboy fernandez um really put sure shit on the map with this call when he won the 1959 world championship duck calling contest in stuttgart mm -hmm. um it was, it was it was him and it was a guy named george jensen i think george is really the one that designed the call but when cowboy won the world championship with it that's when sure shot became a you know the top-notch business yeah. You know, so yeah, you gonna give us a demo with that one? I can, I sure can. Let's see. Right. This is one of the old ones. I don't know how it's tuned. <laughs> Calls like probably 30, 40 years old, and it still still runs. Still uh. sounds like a duck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it must have been loud because it kind of blacked out <laughs> the sound. Yeah, so. I, I, I don't know how that came out on the audio, but it was worth a shot. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool though, man. Also, it's a. We also have Redbone. Not to interrupt you, uh -huh. uh, but we're actually two companies now. Redbone Goose Calls is our other company, and that's oh, nice. a custom, you know, world champion winning spec call. 
Mm. That's uh, that's another thing we're doing now. Yeah, and how's the how's the duck season been this year over where you're at? It's been rough. Now my <laughs> friends that are that are still running out to the public land, you know, working hard to hunt the marsh uh, to make you know different refuges along the Texas coast. Um, they've been doing well, um, and uh, you know, usually I'm out there with them, but for some reason this year I haven't been. I haven't been super motivated to get out and, and sit at the boat ramp from, you know, t- 10 and, and, and 10 PM all the way till 4 PM and then boating out and <laughs> spending a whole night in the marsh, which is what it takes out there on the public land. You got to get out there the night before, um, yeah. just a spot in line. And I've had some opportunities to hunt, um, you know, easier stuff. So I've been, been doing that, but, uh, uh, it's been rough though. You know, we haven't had a whole lot of, a whole lot of, uh, our, our migration's been kind of slow. Um, there's not a whole lot of ducks around. It's yeah. hard to explain. Um, I never know what to... There's so many variables. Um, yeah, it seems like we've had a little influx of snow geese over here um, close to my area. Because, I mean, some of the people at work, I guess, took a picture and sent to us on GroupMe of a bunch of snow geese, and which we haven't really seen a lot. Yeah. In the last few years, I mean, you know, the flyways changed so much, right? Um, <laughs> over the last however many years, but about twenty uh, years, it's been it's really been drastic. Yeah, it's a uh, um, probably put some people out of business. Just you know, the outfit and the number of outfitters that were over here, you know, in the Katy Prairie and oh yeah, going south towards El Campo and and all that area and stuff. But um, there's still a lot of a lot of people um, hunting in that yeah. in that area and, and stuff. So. Um, my, my buddy, um, he, he's a professor at McNeese. Uh, his name is Mark Merchant. He's a pretty renowned biologist. Um, he was, he's a passionate duck hunter. He's, he hunts some of the same stuff. He's, we do a lot of hunting together. He was telling me about the, the le- legislation that was passed in 1999, I think, that, that legalized flooding corn up mm-hmm. in the, uh, up north, um, in the upper part of the Mississippi and the, I guess the Prairie Potholder region, all, kind of all the nor- northern states. Yeah. And when they legalized that, that's when the downward trend of wintering populations in the South started occurring. Yeah. So it's, uh, I always thought, you know, perhaps it was the weather, or, you know, who, who knows? Uh, I, I was always kind of open-minded. No, it was us. It was uh, <laughs> the the people up North stealing human, our human, human interaction, you know, and yeah. uh, you, you see more and more of that now. I mean, all the stuff that like they're dealing with over in Florida with yep. the al- algal blooms, you know, and, yep. um, and Okeechobee and stuff that captains for clean water is fighting and, and, um, the stuff here, I mean, just the population growth alone in Texas, yep. if people would s- stop coming here, <laughs> um, which I can't <laughs> say anything cause I'm from Oklahoma, but right. <laughs> I've been here for 20 You're years. Good. So <laughs> You're a good Texan, Texas. <laughs> but, uh, no, but, yeah, you know, the thing is we still have such large expanses in the West and, you know, even in the East, um, it just sucks for, and I became very interested in the Katy Prairie ecosystem after I worked there. I worked for the the Texas A&M Natural Resource Institute when I was in college, doing uh, uh, research on chicken turtles. Um, it's a really rare species of turtle that lives in these prairies. Um, I became really interested in that that prairie ecosystem, and man, every time I go back out there, there's more of it gone. Um, it really. All the areas around Houston, Dallas, San Antonio, Austin, they're going to get chewed up. But I, I, 
guess the good thing is the development's got to stop at some point because people don't want to get too far away from the urban centers, you know, the downtown and yeah. all that. So hopefully, you know, our most of our central Texas hills will, will remain under ranch, you know, ranch land and wildlife use and stay pretty, pretty rural. South, you know, southwest Texas, even most of South Texas, West Texas. Um, I think we should be, we should be fine. But it, it is crazy how many people have moved here. And for the longest time, I would mm-hmm. think about it way too much, but try to remain optimistic um, these days. Yeah. I mean, when we moved down here, and as I said, just, just 20 years ago, uh, next month, basically, um, we bought in, in the town we're in because it was so separated from everything. Mm-hmm. And now it's just, it's basically from Houston all the way to Galveston. There's there's no empty spots left on on oh. the interstate. And that's a lot that's been very recent too, just over the past five years. Yeah, yeah. It, it happens really fast, but there's always so much construction going on. It's like by the time this project gets done, it's going to be time to replace it. I you know, because it's not going to be adequate enough. So, well, um, well, there's one other thing I wanted to chat with you about before we get off. Um, is I mean, you just mentioned while ago getting that text, but um, kind of talk a little bit about um, alligators and and the crocs and stuff you worked with, and yep. and why. I mean, why why that happens? Why do you have to go out and remove these things? I mean, yeah, yeah, they show up in your backyard, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. So, what's up with with those? So the yeah, my interest in alligators and 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 crocodiles in general started when I was pretty young. You know, watching Steve Irwin growing up. Um, and, and I was born down here in Southeast Texas, but for like about half of my childhood, I lived north of Dallas where we didn't have alligator populations that were that and there are some up there, but not very many. And I moved back down here when I was um, in like middle school or high school. Um, I was so excited to be back in alligator country and I immediately started going out looking for them and, um, you know, trying to trying to get as close as I can and observe them. And I eventually got my nuisance alligator permit when I turned 18 and started catching alligators for Texas Parks and Wildlife as like a, sort of like a contractor. Um, right. We have there's so many alligator calls and Parks and Wildlife can't you know can't do it all, so they rely heavily on us. And I still do it now. Um, and you know it's just there's so many um, there's so many alligators now. We we've done a really good job of of you know bringing alligator populations back to a sustainable level. Um, you know we have a great alligator season here. But, you know, as these cities keep expanding, especially around Houston, where people are moving into historic alligator habitat and mm-hmm. they, they call us and like an alligator has invaded my property. I'm like, it was the other way around. <laughs> yeah. <right. laughs> and these days I, I try to put some effort into talking landowners into letting the alligator leave itself. Because usually it's like the most common situation is this. It's about a three to five foot male. It got pushed out during breeding season, ended up in a canal or in someone's pond. It's not even there to 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 eat anything and it even if it wanted to, like they're not that effective at catching bass, I don't think, which is the cherished, you know, game fish that most people are managing for in their ponds. Yeah. So I, I just I don't think they have a huge impact on the fish. Um and usually if if you just leave it alone, it'll be gone on its own. Cause, you know, most of the time we catch these animals, we have to put them in captivity or you ha- where you have to harvest them. And either way is fine. Um, I haven't done any harvest. Um, I've always just enjoyed catching them and kind of, kind of giving them a second chance at life. If I can, you know, um, 
I have gone alligator hunting before during the season, but when it's not a season, I feel like it's it's only fair to at least try to give some of those animals that ended up in you know just a bad spot a chance to be relocated or if not put in a, put in a facility and used uh, in an educational zoo or something. Um, but yeah, if, if preferably though, we want to keep alligators in the wild mm-hmm. as best as we can because you know as more people move to Houston and Beaumont, uh, these alligator human conflicts are going to increase and you know I. It's hard to imagine we'd ever see like a decline because of uh, urban urban sprawl, but I mean, I don't, so many so many neighborhoods popping up, and um, we don't we don't want to we we don't want a situation where alligators are only in the in the national wildlife refuge. We want, we want alligators to be ever present in our lives. They're important culturally. People we eat the alligator every year. I go to Gator Fest uh, in Anahuac. That's yep. you know a staple of the culture in Southeast Texas as, as Gator Fest and. We always want to keep alligators at the forefront of our culture here, and and they're so important ecologically, and they're just awesome to look at. Um, but you know, a lot of people that move in from other states or big cities, they uh, they just view them as kind of like a direct threat to them or their or their pets or their family. And sometimes they thinking can't of get- horror movies. You know, <laughs> things going to eat everything, attack us yeah. and stuff, and and it's usually not the case. I mean, they're they're so docile as long as you don't feed them and you know, kind of keep your distance. Um, I think that's the key. the The feeding part is yeah, that's, a lot of people. They are do fed, that and one they can be fed one time, and after that, they're they're done. Like they will come up to every human after that. Um, I'll tell you what: most nuisance alligator calls I get are not alligators being fed. So they're not, in my mind, they're not really a nuisance. They're just an alligator that ended up in a bad, mm-hmm. you know, in in the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, and I'd, I'd really like to, I'd really like to be able to with alligators like that. I think it, it'd be cool if we could release those back into the wild but it's, it's really hard you know it's kind of a subjective um thing you know it, but you, you can tell when alligators been fed they they come right up to you, you don't even need to catch yeah. them on a hook you can just rope them you know mm-hmm. but it's, it's great it's a it's something i do a lot in the spring and the summer and it, it gets pretty busy um something uh, i do it for free you know i'll be driving all over the place catching these things um and i currently don't have a truck uh, I'm driving an SUV, so I got this little raft for us. I'll have you know an eight foot alligator crammed in there, and <laughs> people <laughs> get a real kick out of it. But uh, we get the job done. Oh man, yeah, I usually get uh, two or three calls a year from people that that know me and know I work right, right. for the state, and so they'll be like, "There's an alligator here at my friend's house." It's like, what do what do we do? And I was like, "Well, send me the address, That's and I'll great. let the game yeah. wardens know or something." And and uh, um, we'll see what the, what they can do. I mean, I had one friend, she sent me a picture here in Texas city and there was like a 12, 13 footer just mm-hmm. sitting on their porch, just yeah. sitting there. And I was like, well, that would probably get me too. If I opened the door and seen that sitting there. So, yeah. but, uh, but they, they got it and relocated it and stuff, but yeah, that's cool. I mean, it's cool to know yeah. that there's people out there that you can get a hold of and you know, where do people, as far as like what what you do, being a licensed, um, having a, a nuisance, is it a nuisance license? Is that what you? It's a nuisance alligator control permit. Okay, so yeah. how and you get that through the state? Yep. Um, John Warner, he's the alligator program leader. He 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 has he does a class every couple of years, and mm-hmm. um, you have to pay an annual you know permit fee two hundred fifty dollars. Um, and he he really wants people that are going to be committed that, that are doing it for the right reasons and 
are interested in alligator management. Um, yeah. you, you'll have some young dudes coming in there. They just, they're looking for a, a their next viral video and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, want to keep people that are, that are, you know, just, just interested in alligators and, and their conservation. But yep. Well, yeah, cool, man. Well, Andrew, I, I appreciate it. And I know we both got stuff going on and stuff so we can get off here, but, um, why don't you let everybody know where they can follow you and, um, on your stuff and with sure shot and all that and, uh, where yeah. they can check out your podcast and everything. So on Instagram, my username is the Texas naturalist. It's kind of where I post a lot of my, uh, outdoor stuff, wildlife stuff. Um, I share my podcast on there. I do have a Instagram account for my podcast. It's just, uh, the wildlife experience. Um, my podcast is on Spotify and all the other avenues. Um, but I don't actually know how many avenues it's on. Cause I just post it to this RSS feed. It just like shoots right. it out. Spotify is the best place to listen. I think, um, and hopefully I'll be getting some, some new episodes out this year with some cool guests. Um, yeah, that's about it, man. Really appreciate it. Really, uh, always enjoy yeah. chatting, man. Glad we got to do this finally and stuff. And, uh, let's try to, uh, connect a little bit more this year and do some yeah. stuff outside of the summit and get together. I mean, we're not that far away from each other. So even though I'm not going to the summit, if there's any way I can, you know, be held be involved or anything, yeah, just keep me included. Sounds good, man. All right. Well, I appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. Sounds good, man. All right.